Beyond the Mississippi, passengers enjoy the scenic west with the freedom and adventure of the open road. Here we are in the frantic 40s and the music is better than ever. Say, Bray Rabbit, how about I take you to my laughing place? <laughs> Except I don't expect you'll be doing much laughing. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, for the first musical portion of our demonstration, we have W Radio. You're in Hello, my friends, and welcome, or welcome back, to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I'm your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 156 for the week of January 31st, 2010. This week, we're going to step aboard my Walt Disney World Wayback Machine as we travel back to look not at a singular attraction, but instead examine and explore the park's during a moment in time. Turning the dials to 1986, we'll look at the expansion and changes that took place, as well as what else Disney had planned for the future. Stay tuned for a new contest and an opportunity for you to be a part of the show and win prizes along the way. I'll play more of your voicemails at the end of the show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. As you know... On this show and with the articles on my site and in Celebrations Magazine, I love looking back at Walt Disney World's history by going through what I call my Walt Disney World Wayback Machine. And oftentimes I'll focus on a land or an attraction or a show or yes, even a restaurant. But recently on the show, we looked back at Walt Disney World during really a snapshot in time. That was 1973, which was really interesting because we examined and explored Walt Disney World just a couple of years after the Florida Swampland was turned into a revolutionary vacation destination. So I thought we would do it again, but this time we're going to turn the dials ahead a few years to a time when the Magic Kingdom wasn't the only game in town and when Walt Disney World truly became the vacation kingdom of the world. And just as he did on the way back segment to 1973, Ryan Wilson from the Main Street Gazette is joining me once again as we travel back in time. Ryan, welcome back as always. Always a pleasure. And you know, I made it a point, and I'm sure you'll appreciate this, to call it the vacation kingdom in the of the world because I'm sure you hear it all the time. People call Walt Disney World the happiest place on earth. Technically, according to the tagline, from the very beginning, it was always dubbed the Vacation Kingdom of the World, and that's why I was saying 1986 it really starts to kind of come into its own. You're right, because you finally have two parks, you have you know several resorts, and you have more coming now that, that, that are going to be planned, 
And you're right, it was a vacation kingdom to the world. The happiest place on earth was always really the moniker of Disneyland. And the vacation kingdom was Florida's. And that's when people say, you know what, Lou, just go ride the rides and shut up already. (laughs) (laughs) But listen, as we did with 1973, I want to kind of put 1986 in context for others who either may remember or... I don't even know if I should ask you what year you were born or if you remember 1986 or not. <laughs> I, I most certainly remember 1986. Okay. <laughs> we're, we're totally in my ballpark now. <laughs> oh, dude, this this is my era. This is when I, I mean, I was shopping at Chess King. I was wearing my Cavaricis and my parachute pants. I had my denim jacket. I was dating or trying to date girls with the big hair, with the stiff stuff and the scrunchies and the leg warmers and the oversized sweaters it, it was kind of like a retro jersey shore for me you know nice. <laughs> so. I, I i mean this was a time that i can remember you know the majority of my memories from walt disney world coming into play but yeah i had the suspend you know i was the dorky kid with suspenders and the spiky hair with the rat tail <laughs> and it is it was a, a horrendous time for me personally but when it comes to walt disney world some of my fondest memories are of this period I agree. But just, again, sort of globally speaking, putting into context other stuff that was going on, because I think when I was thinking back to this segment and I started reading some of these things that were taking place in 1986, I found it interesting kind of locking that that part of time in for me. Looking back, the median household income in current dollars was $24,000. Unemployment was at a 7% rate, which now would be like, awesome. We'd love it if it was 7%. (laughs) Uh, the Chicago Bears crushed the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl, just as the New York Mets somewhat crushed the Boston Red Sox. Oprah, this is when Oprah started in 86. We Are the World was the record of the year. How's that for, for dating ourselves? Yeah, seriously. Well, and even with Oprah, Oprah's ending now, and she was just starting then, so that's that's a chunk of time there. You know, when I was looking back at what some of the popular songs were, I was laughing at myself. I was embarrassed because I'm like, rock me Amadeus. I, I had it, man. I had the 12 inch, oh. I had the 45. <laughs> Are we going to sing? Are you going to sing? You know what? If I start going through the list of some of the popular songs, I- I'm not going to sing That's What Friends Are For. And I would almost start belting out lyrics from Kiri by Mr. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Just to, to make you remember. But yes. West End Girls by the Pet Shop Boys and, and Addicted to Love by Robert Palmer. Um, those are some of the popular things. Movie-wise, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Now I'm like, wow, I'm really dating myself because that's when that came out. Um, Disney releases Flight of the Navigator and The Great Mouse Detective. Put it in Disney context. And um, TV shows, you had things like Cosby was just huge then. Family Ties and Cheers. Golden Girls, Disney Connection with, with the old Backlot Tour. I had to try to put it in. And my, my show during the time, Moonlighting. Early Bruce ah, Willis. Such a great show. So. It was one of those shows I would, I would sneak and stand behind the couch and watch. My parents didn't know I was watching. Just because <laughs> I, I loved that show. I loved Bruce Willis and that so much. So, yeah. And, you know, I won't even say that I would watch Growing Pains and Who's the Boss. But let's, let's go back to Walt Disney World in 86. And I thought we would do, again, to sort of put Walt Disney World in context, especially relative to our 1973 conversation, quickly go through the years and some of the things that were added during this time. So 
1974, the Hoopty Doo musical review, still going strong, by the way. You you never look better, you Hoopty Doo, begins in 1974. Also that year, they announced plans for Epcot, and that's important because 1986, Epcot really is kind of in full swing with the addition of some new things since it opened in um, 1982. What else? River Country opens, uh, the Main Street Electrical Parade, huge, huge fan. They start construction at Epcot in 79, how they finished it in three years. I have no idea when it opened in 1982. Big Thunder Mountain Railroad opens up in Frontierland. The Michael Eisner era starts in 1984. That's going to be important as well, sort of the direction of the company. Remember, and I say this whenever people start talking about Michael Eisner, Ryan, so many of the things that we have now that we enjoy, like Disney's MGM slash Hollywood Studios, you might want to crucify Michael Eisner, but you have to remember to thank him for things like that because he and Frank Wells were so instrumental in making things like that happen. Absolutely. The pair of them really, at the beginning of their careers, and we have to remember, Roy E. Disney was the one who fought to get them in and would later fight to get them out. Well, okay, Eisner out. They did. They did some miraculous things that I don't believe at that point any other head of the company could have been able to do in bringing us Epcot Center and in the productions of the films. It really did turn a corner for Disney into making it what we know today before maybe there were some errors in judgment later on. Absolutely. And again, and, you know, we've talked about this in the past. Sometimes it's easier to remember the bad stuff than it is the good stuff, but they were both so responsible, especially when Frank Wells was still alive. I mean, the partnership that they had, not to compare, but to analogize them to a Walt and Roy, but they just worked so well together and made so many great things happen that we still, you know, enjoy to this day. Absolutely. It, it is really the only thing you could compare it to is Walt and Roy. It's the only relationship that worked that well. Absolutely. So kind of fast forwarding real quick to 1986. I said earlier, Vacation Kingdom. And before we get to the theme parks, I guess we would talk about the resorts because when we talked about 1973, there wasn't a lot going on. You had the Contemporary and the Polynesian Fort Wilderness. Now you have the resort villas and you also have the Disney Inn, um, which was was the the uh, golf resort originally name was changed to Disney Inn. So you now have five resorts to choose from, all offering very different type of vacation experiences. And even that year in '86, you had the you know the architectural models released of the Swan and Dolphin, which meant that there were going to be more resorts coming. And this one was going to be right in Epcot's back door for World Showcase. It, and even within the park, the resorts we already had. You had things like the Campfire Snack Bar becoming Crockett's Tavern, which if you're a fan of Fort Wilderness, which is where I grew up, it, you are, you're a huge fan of Crockett's Tavern. It's second only to the Hoop Doo Review. Right. And places like River Country, you know, the water park, and to this day, obviously still very important part of many people's vacation, especially if they go during the summer. River Country at this point, you know, was huge. I mean, that was a place that you could spend a half or even a full day, maybe do a little river country, a little Discovery Island. Yeah, it was a good time to be on Bay Lake. It definitely <laughs> was. Right, because remember, it was originally back in the 70s, it was Treasure Island for a while, around 78 or so, they renamed it Discovery Island. I remember my dad loved Discovery Island. He loved the aviary and all the birds and the animals and stuff like that. And that's what we would do. We'd maybe go to river country in the morning, Discovery Island in the afternoon, or vice versa. Um, you know, and you can you can eat there. You can do take those um, 
They had the Sunset Adventure Cruise that you can go over to, um, you know, to, to river country. Even places like the Polynesian was expanding. You know, that was they built two more longhouses in 85. They added Maria and Pago Pago or Pago Pago. Doesn't matter. The names change in 99 anyway. <laughs> so um, but it's definitely growing. And you have things like Mickey's Tropical Review over at the Polynesian. And still to this day, I remember back the top of the world supper club like that was the place to go and i think we even talked about this when we said in 73 it was very much a place for adults to go as well and and the supper club still even in the 80s was the elegant place to go dine and drink and dance and whatever it was at night you're right you had top tier entertainment up there still you know over a decade later it was going strong it was the place for nightlife at disney world at walt disney world you didn't have pleasure island yet so this was the place that drew in adults at night to, to really keep them on Disney property. And the significant thing about 1986, and you know, this is becoming a little bit more pronounced now when we talked about things like Epcot's 25th and the studio's 20th. 1986 was the 15th anniversary of Walt Disney World. And, this, and they certainly made a big deal out of it. You know, we talked about now, well, you know, how did they celebrate the 25th? Of Epcot, and were they going to do anything before sort of this the Celebration 25 fan movement took place? And then they did a little something for the studios, but this was very, very much a big deal when Walt Disney World turned 15 years old. I can remember in Epcot Center having the planters in the front with these giant yellow pyramid-type cakes that were just they were they were gigantic, and you could get your picture taken in front of those. They had the 15 Years of Magic song. There were giveaways at the gates. It was a huge deal for Walt Disney World. And the giveaway at the gate was really the big thing. And they they pushed this hard. I mean, this was sort of the cornerstone of their marketing and advertising. Because in order to, to celebrate it, you didn't just get a button. You didn't get this or that. They gave out a prize every 15 seconds at both the Magic Kingdom and Epcot. And if you got a prize, what you really got was this bright yellow ticket. And I know I have a losing ticket somewhere in storage in a warehouse in New Jersey somewhere. But as you went through the turnstiles, if you were that randomly selected 15 second guest, you would get one of those and you'd find out if you want every, anything from a button to a visor, to a t-shirt, to park tickets, discovery Island tickets. They also gave away cars. I mean, they gave away, I mean, not at the gate, but you could win. And I think at the time, I think it was Chevy, who was the sponsor, and they were giving away Chevy cars. I, I believe it was Chevy, and you're right. I mean, it was a huge event. Uh, you, know, you compare it to the year of a million dreams, and it's nothing in comparison. I mean, the 15 years of magic had huge giveaways. I think I still have the little Spaceship Earth Epcot pin. I got that year tucked away somewhere in who knows which one of my boxes. But, yeah, it was a fantastic thing to do to get a ticket every 15 seconds. And not only that, again, so much so from a marketing perspective, they actually had a two-hour TV special on ABC called, obviously, Walt Disney World's Birthday Celebration on November 9th. So this was not just a series of commercials or things they were doing in the parks. I mean, they were really pushing hard to get people down to come and celebrate and, again, the, the potential opportunity to win something is always enticing to guess. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there were so many TV specials in the early years of 
the Magic Kingdom and Walt Disney World and Epcot Center, um, th that it was. It was a continuously marketing campaign and television campaign to bring people in. Yeah, and I, I like to uh, seek out, especially on places like YouTube, I'll find some of these old videos that people have recorded on their VHS and transferred to digital and put up. Because you're right, especially in the late 70s, early 80s, they had a lot of these TV specials. Um, I just posted one on my blog, I think from 1984. Some of them, especially the early 70s one with Orson Welles, a little creepy, a little odd <laughs> with, some of the, uh, with some of the music choices that they made. But these, I mean, imagine now, Ryan, we have a two-hour special about Walt Disney World, you know, birthday. So the 40th birthday coming up. How cool would that be? And I know we have the Christmas Day Parade, but let's call it what it is. Kelly Ripa, I love her to death. A little robotic for me. A little too, little too scripted. Yes. But a two-hour Walt Disney World celebration TV show. Fire up the TiVos, everybody. Absolutely. It, yeah, it must see TV uh, would be reborn if, if, if that were to come out. Um, and it is, you know, there were so many specials. At one point you had the Mouseketeers, or I believe it was the new Mickey Mouse Club, go to River Country and film an episode at River Country. I, I was doing some research on that recently and ran across it. And these were great, great films to go back and watch again. Yeah. And again, as, as a child of the 80s, I remember seeing various of my favorite stars okay call them crushes um you know d filming stuff in walt disney world during this time and I, I know people would lose their minds in a good way if they started bringing those things back so if anybody's listening a 40th anniversary two-hour abc special i'm all for it I am all maybe for. just to throw it out there maybe a, a walt disney treasures of some of these old walt disney world videos coupled with a new document uh, documentary of Walt Disney World, you know, like a then, now, forever type thing. Just, yeah, I'll just throw that out there. Maybe even including some segments with, you know, online bloggers and podcasters who really love this kind of stuff and can contribute. Just shows. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, let, us, let us host. You know, we're not going to be robotic like Kelly Ripa. And, I, and she's cute. She's adorable. Love her death. But let you know we know it inside out let just let, let let us take over we'll be we'll do fine i told jd roth if he wants to bring it back i'm just saying i'm just saying <laughs> anyway let's go back to the 50 we got way off off topic and, and tangent but we were talking about um and some of the things they were giving away and we talked about those complimentary tickets one thing that changed one thing that was going on during this time i'm sure you probably have one in your collection i know i do have they no longer were using the ABCD coupon books that we talked about so fondly from the 70s. Now you had, in 1986, you had a world passport, which is somewhat akin to sort of the Magic in a way, but it was this single pass that gave you admission to both the Magic Kingdom and Epcot. Right, and if you think about even security measures now, you know, we have the finger scan. Back then, they were, you know, just stamped with the date on the, on the, the passport, and that was, you know, your clearance to get into these parks. And yeah, they, they are. There's something to, to look at. They're a great piece to hold. Kind of up there with me with the old parking uh, lot tickets that you used to get when you would park. But yeah, we had moved away from a, you know, the A through E tickets. And we're now moving into this one ticket for the parks, which is why you can still see old ticket booths, you know, that have been you know, refurbished into other uses in the Magic Kingdom. But in Epcot, there were no such booths anywhere. Exactly. 
Exactly. Do you remember the, um, and I don't remember what year it was, I think it was after this, when they took your a digital picture of you and actually put your digital picture on your ticket. No, see, I grew up in Central Florida. We always had the, the Florida annual passes. So I can remember them taking my picture, cutting an oval out, and then laminating it onto a back of a piece of cardboard. That's what I can remember. Wow. Yeah, I just remember when they were using the picture system, and I, forgive me, I don't remember what year it was, it took so much longer to get through because you had that human interaction. They had to look down, look at you, you know, like the bad driver's license picture. <laughs> I have to find mine. I know I have mine in storage. I got to scan it in and really do a self-deprecating blog post and, po and put that up. Yeah, I, I put up enough old pictures of myself that I, that, that there's, I have very little dignity left. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, you're, but, you know, there was something to be said about having that human, you know, it was another human interaction you have that maybe today you, you don't get as often. Exactly. Exactly. But it did. It slowed the process down. Unlike Disneyland, which is the barcode, you swipe it under, boom, it beeps, you're in, you know, a little bit of a faster process. So Right. But, you know, we were talking about the TV specials, and, and that's how we got on our tangent and sort of shameless self-plugging to try <laughs> and hope to get on one. But one of the major additions that came to the parks in 1986 actually came to Epcot and... Again, not ABC this time, but instead on January 24th, 1986, NBC airs another television special called Disney's Living Seas to celebrate the attraction that opened about nine days earlier in Future World. Again, not only changed the landscape, really, I mean, the Living Seas, Ryan, still, although it, it's changed so much, was such an important and such a monumental addition to Walt Disney World and to Epcot. Right, and this was hosted, if I'm remembering correctly, by Regis Philbin, um, and, it, and it really did. It changed the landscape of Future World, and it really gave us the Future World that for me and you and others out there like us, this is the Future World we remember. We have Communicore now, we have The Living Seas with its, with its films, we have Horizons, which opened in 1983, and everything is starting to come together on that side of Epcot Center. Absolutely. And, you know, as a kid, you know, you walked in and, and it wasn't just this 5.5, 5.7 million gallon aquarium, but it was the, the cool aspect that you felt that you were entering Seabase Alpha. And look, we all bought into our 30 second hydrolator ride. And I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world that, you know, you were really going down and the theming of the pavilion, you didn't feel like you were just going to look at fish. You felt like you were an integral part of this 3D walkthrough attraction. Right. You'd go through the museum piece at the beginning. You'd see the film. You'd see the 3D rendering, almost Tron-like, since you know we're bringing Tron back this year, of Seabase Alpha. And then you would go onto your hydrolator. You know, the floor would shake, which... I, yeah, I was convinced I was moving further away from the surface. It didn't help. It didn't make me feel any better about where I was going. But you'd op the doors would open and you were under the ocean. It was the living seas. And it's so cool that you brought up Tron. Released, by the way, the same year that Epcot opened. 1982 was a good year to be a Disney fan, by the way. Really good year, yeah. Really good year. You get the, you get the extra monorail section. You get Epcot and World Showcase opening up. The following year, you get Horizons, you get uh, Journey into Imagination, and then, you know, it's just a, a 
a plethora of new things that start opening. We get Morocco, obviously, in uh, in World Showcase. Uh, but other things that, that take place, too, some changes happen, not just in Epcot, over in um, the Magic Kingdom. And I remember this, and I remember this a- as a kid, and it was kind of like the, the switch from Journey into Imagination version 1 to version 2 when the Country Bear Jamboree became the Country Bear Vacation Hoedown. That was a, I, I just was like, it looks the same, but what's it with the California girls and the singing in the rain? Not sure why they were messing with the classic as, as an but, aside. Happy that it's back. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm much a traditionalist in that uh, for that show, but it was one of these shows that you still hear people, people refer to and they loved it. Especially, you know, we had On the Road Again, and all these really different songs that, that diverted away from the original show. But again, it's something that people fondly remember, just like they remember the holiday show. They wanted it to come back. They wanted to keep seeing these shows come time and again. I guess, but, you know, I'm sure somebody is saying Enchanted Tiki Room under new management, case in point. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. so, but, <laughs> Journey, uh, Journey into Imagination. With Nigel Channing is not the same as the Dream Finder. L- listen, lo- Monty, P- love it. You know, it's great, but it's not what it was before. And, and my right. kids, my kids, still enjoy Journey to Imagination. But speaking of shows, then let's just bounce over back to Epcot. And we've talked about this over the, this past summer when Michael Jackson passed. The big addition, really, for, you know, from a geek perspective like me, in addition to the Living Seas opening in January, was later on in the year. In September, when Captain EO opens up in the Magic Eye Theater uh, in the Imagination Pavilion, again, we talked about it at the time, costing $17 million to make this short little 15, 17-minute film. Do the math, a million dollars a minute. But you have George Lucas, and you have Coppola, and you have Michael Jackson. And at the time, Ryan, I mean, it was it was huge. It's, it's still huge. I mean... You know, I know recently they just released a documentary, This Is It, about all the concert work that they did with Michael Jackson for this tour he was going to do. And, you know, one of the songs from Captain EO was still being being performed at that point. So it was huge then, and it still carries its weight now. And again, NBC does an hour special, the Disney's Captain EO grand opening. And you don't see these things anymore. You don't see these television specials. Just so you know, by the way, Disney, you own ABC. So if you want to kind of shoehorn a little special in there uh, about some of these new attractions and things that are going on, you have the outlet to do it. And, and I'm telling you, people would watch. You're right. And I think, you know, there's even some evidence to that with some of the documentary work that was done for Expedition Everest. When Joe Rohde and the other Imagineers went to the Himalayas and did some work and they brought back some video and it was and it was put into a documentary for, I believe, the Discovery Channel. And people watched because it, we are interested in how these things come to pass and, you know, th- the elements that create this magical experience for all of us. Right. And it's and it's a commercial without being a commercial, because I know if I would have watched the ca- the grand opening of Captain EO on NBC five minutes later, I would have been like, Dad, 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 you know, because you have to go see it. And I'm sure that was probably the effect that it that took place. Right, I would have probably already been sitting in the back of the station wagon going, all right, let's go, now we're away, let's move Are they there yet? Are they yet? Get in the car. Have we hit but, south of the border yet? Yeah. Where's Pedro? So, <laughs> And again, 
I'm mean, not to keep harping on the TV, but again, we talked about how pr- predominant it was in the 80s. Just a couple of weeks later, they also do another TV special called Walt Disney's Wet and Wild. So they're really gunning hard because remember, they also follow up a few weeks after that with the 15th birthday celebration thing. So you've got at least four TV shows specifically about Walt Disney World airing on network television at the time, NBC and ABC. Right. And and while it may not have been on television, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this was also the year that we received the Walter Cronkite narration for Spaceship Earth, which is some people's favorite version of the Spaceship Earth narration. I will not correct you because you are not wrong, because on May 29th, that's when it reopened with Walter Cronkite. And look, you know, I, Jeremy Irons, I love it. And he's got a certain thing about his voice. I love Judy Gent, eh, not so much. Walter Cronkite, I mean, far and away, my, my favorite version. He was the consummate newsman. And so what better person did we have to transport us through the history of our planet? And, you know, we all the things we've been talking about is, again, and through the years, Disney's just so good at doing this, tying in big name celebrities, entertainment. You've got Walter Cronkite. You've got Michael Jackson. You've got Francis Coppola. Look, Michael Graves in the architectural world was huge. I mean, he's, you know, he's a very renowned architect. So when he shows his proposals for the Dolphin and the Swan, you know, bringing his work to Walt Disney World, that's a big deal because it's an it's a name that's coming in again. And it's all these names that cause people's ears to perk up and to take notice and to say, you know what, maybe this is something I need to be going to check out. You know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have everyone dissecting every little thing. We, we had to rely on these names that were, that were household names and that we trusted. The thing is, though, when I saw the statistic and started thinking about it, I was really impressed, you know, because we all heard the stories about how when Walt Disney World first opened on opening day, they expected, you know, four miles worth of, of traffic and they, people were never going to get in and people were camping out for days. And what they got on opening day was much, much less. But one other thing that they celebrated just 15 years after they opened and, the, and really the middle of nowhere in central Florida they welcomed their 500 millionth guest into a Disney park in March of that year. That's, I mean, and that's, I, you know, and I believe that was phenomenal. Don McGrath. I mean, he's, he's, he was a nobody, but he, it was huge. It was, it was the 500 million guest. Literally later on, he had 15 years. So this was a big year for Disney. And there were, you know, millions upon millions upon millions of people every year coming to visit the parks. Do you think Don McGrath still walks around now going, don't you know who I am? I was the 500 millionth guest at Walt Disney World. <laughs> Do you see this photograph? Do you understand? So, but I'll tell you, like I said, the 80s for me, again, not dating very much, but really thinking I was in my element. I love, I was really just so in love with Walt Disney World at this time. And a shift had happened to me personally because I really loved Epcot Center. That became my favorite park. And there was so much to it that I enjoyed. Yes, it was things like the Living Seas and that and that new addition. And I had liked initially, Ryan, that sort of separation between the Magic Kingdom being so fanciful and characters everywhere and having that distinction that they were not present initially in Epcot. Later on, you start seeing Mickey, again, thanks to Michael Eisner, you see Mickey Mouse in his silver Buck Rogersy space suit 
spacesuit, but again, not so much, even as much as you see now, certainly not when the park opened. No, it definitely was that that shift from, you know, the dreams that do come true to the the dream of tomorrow and these tangible things we could touch. And they kept characters out of that, even though, as you know, we've talked about before, there were ideas for Pinocchio and, you know, World Showcase in Italy or Alice in Wonderland and Mary Poppins in the United Kingdom. There were all these mentions of characters on the periphery, but nothing took shape. The only real character you had at that point was Figment and Dreamfinder because they were the new character for Epcot Center. Exactly. Exactly. And the other thing, too, and I remember uh, there was always a, there was a section of, and I don't remember if you, if you remember seeing this, where Innoventions currently sits now. I'm sorry, where Art of Disney currently sits now. There was a, a staircase, and you can still see it when you walk into Art of Disney at Epcot on the left-hand side that goes upstairs. At one point, that was called the Teacher Center, which was sort of a, a resource and reference library that if you were an educator, you can go up. There were cast members you could talk to. There were reference materials there that you can either take with you or use right there. All about Walt Disney World and Epcot. That was like the holy grail for me. That was the place that I had wanted to go because, again, being the geek that I was, I wanted to learn all that I could about this place that fascinated me so, so much. Getting up to the teacher center, believe it or not, was the place I really wanted to go. I totally understand where you're coming from with this because as a child, this was this was this kind of place that we didn't really go, but I, I was very curious as to what it was. And as I got older and, and it looked like education was going to be my field, and as it turns out, it is my field, I really miss that we don't have the teacher learning center anymore and I, I just think about all the materials I could have collected and used in my classroom and maybe stored away in a box filing cabinet somewhere <laughs> right. but you had the teacher learning center you had you know for students the the wonders of Walt Disney World with all of these different tours and the for adults they had the Disney learning adventures the education was right there when you walked in the gate right but it wasn't so in your face that, hey, you're here and you are going to learn, which is uh, unfortunately the, the reputation I think that Epcot mistakenly had gotten for so many years. That, oh, it's a place that you go to learn. That's not what it was. But there were ways that if you wanted to learn more, you could do it. Absolutely. It, it was. It was always that entertain first and hope the guests take something with them. Right. And I think I think the Living Seas was actually a good example of educating you while entertaining you because I remember when the diver would come down from the cylinder in the middle and they would have a cast member there talking to him or her and then talking and engaging the audience as well you were fascinated by watching the diver come down but you were learning at the same time and I think a lot of the exhibits in there did exactly the same thing much the same way they do now but with the addition of the, of the obviously the Nemo characters right yeah you ha you have Bruce now you have Mr. Ray, and they're all guiding you along this tour that originally was cast members or these, you know, uh, robots. And it was it was very, very different then, but had the same kind of feel. Yeah. And, and thinking back to Epcot at this time in, in 1986, there's things that we had then then that we don't have now to a certain degree. We had the Odyssey Restaurant, and it, which is still there, still used for private functions and, and corporate events and things like that located between Future World and World Showcase, sort of a, a quick service hamburger place. I still, Ryan, to this day, get emails from people asking why they closed it 
and I don't, I can just sort of make up guessing answers as to why it was, maybe because of the location, because of the dining options itself. They were, you know, there were hamburgers and hot dogs and chicken, not anything that maybe took advantage of the proximity to World Showcase having some sort of an international menu there. The building still sits. I was in it just a few months ago for an event, um, but obviously no longer still in use for daily guests. Right. It had, you know, some some shows, some live entertainment. Um, I can remember the chicken basket and, you know, piling olives and mushrooms and everything else on my on my sandwich to eat. But it, maybe the proximity to World Showcase, maybe it should have had a different menu. Kind of, kind of like we see now at the refreshment port on the other side of World Showcase, offering more of a Mediterranean kind of a meal. Maybe that would have staved off the closing of Odyssey if it had done that from the beginning. Exactly. But as long as we're, we're right by the World Showcase Lagoon, there were two, two different shows. There was no Illuminations back then, but there were two shows that were certainly notable. Now, the nighttime show, which, which preceded Illuminations, was, and this is such an 80s name, Laserphonic Fantasy, uh, which at the time was one of the most complex shows in Walt Disney World next to Universe of Energy as far as just sort of computer processing power. But there was lasers and fountains and much like Illuminations, the fiber optics, a lot of great classical music. And again, that sort of rousing finale, much like we have still today. I, I really feel like Epcot Center and Epcot today has always had that finale show that really drew you in and really had that emotional heart to it, it t- tied with the technical aspects that just blow you away. And it's one of those things that I never get tired of no matter how many times I, I go watching myself and just being awe-inspired and then looking down and maybe seeing someone who is their first time and seeing these shows and just they they can't believe what they're watching. Now, let me ask you this, uh, completely off subject, but we were talking about, you know, not changing the classics and things like that. There's been rumors for some time about illuminations, possibly changing, morphing into something a little bit different. Does the nostalgic in you, does the purist in you, want illuminations to stay just it's just so perfect you can't fix it or hey ryan wilson i'm 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 down for something else i'm down for a change and to see where they can take that show you know i remember when they changed it to reflections of earth from the original illuminations and i had such fond memories of that growing up and watching the different lighting effects on the pavilions that said, there's no way they can ever come up with something that will top this for me and then they bring out reflections of earth and you know not every time, but I get a tear in my eye every once in a while. It's such a beautiful story, really, if you if you know how it unfolds. So I'm I'm never gonna say they can't find a way to, to wow me again and they can't find a way to pull me back in. But Reflections of Earth is is pretty darn near the top of my list. That was such a good diplomatic answer. I like that. <laughs> so. I do what I can. Now, do you remember the one thing they had that they obviously don't have anymore? And this is something I really enjoyed, and I'd love to see them bring something like this back in some form or fashion. They had a daytime show in the lagoon as well, and it was called Skylidoscope. And there were a lot of unique special effects that they brought in. They made this magical rainbow in the sky and on the water, and they used a variety of different vehicles not only in the water but in the air as well so they had ultralight gliders a variety of different boats they had hovercrafts kites boats with fountains on them sailboats they did this magical rainbow they made with these gliders and these um different colored streams of smoke 
There were daytime fireworks. Again, great music, great story to go with it, describing this battle between good and evil that was going on. So like Illuminations, like you said, there was a story associated with this as well. This was one of those things where it was the one draw because at the time I was a child, I didn't like World Showcase. There was a lot of walking and not a whole lot for me to do. I can remember wanting to leave Future World, wanting to leave, you know, the Expo robotics and all of these things behind to go and sit on a little grassy spot and watch these boats and watch these these kites and, yes, gliders and the smoke and the fireworks and just this good versus evil for for what I thought was Walt Disney World, you know, this is the battle for Walt Disney World every day, right. and it it was fantastic. It was, I, I there's not enough video of there of this out there, but it was one of those things where yeah, I wish this was an element we brought back. Yeah, it's a shame because when while doing my research, obviously uh, the books that I do have here and not in storage, I, I went through as much as possible, and and there's not a lot of pictures of this out there, especially things like Sky Lidoscope. Um, there's a couple of promotional f- photographs, but not really a lot. It was a relatively short-lived show. And one of the things I was looking for, this is just me being me, but there was a, a store in the UK, which I think may have been the last one to sell this product. There was a store, a store called His Lordship, which sold tobacco products in the park. So we had remarked when we talk about 1973, the tobacconist on Main Street. Now, obviously, you cannot buy tobacco or newspaper or gum, things like that, inside the theme parks. This store was still there, and I was trying to find a picture of the interior of it, and I was unable to. So if anybody listening has one, or Ryan, if you have one, um, I'd be curious to see what the inside of the His Lordship shop looked like. I'll take a look at myself, yeah, because I may, I may have one, but it's, yeah, it'd be, it'd be tough to say where I, where I have it, but I... I do remember the little shops, all the different little shops, the potpourri shop and all these great little places in the United Kingdom. Yeah, really for me during this time, I was much more of a future world guy. My appreciation of World Showcase didn't develop until a little bit later on, although I did like the shows that took place on World Showcase as more so than walking around the pavilions because I wanted to see attractions. Remember, there was no Norway. There was only 10 pavilions at this time. Norway doesn't come until 1988. So there really is no ride per se inside World Showcase. Yeah, the things that were drawing me into World Showcase at that point were, you know, the double-decker buses that you could ride around. I'd, I'd sit on the second floor of that thing and ride it around time after time because that was just a great way to look at World Showcase. You, know, you had the friendship boats out there in the show, and that was really the extent of my interest in World Showcase until I got a few years older and could really start, you know, really started being interested in different kinds of cuisine and architecture and all these different elements that that come with age yeah and now looking back i'm like you know enjoying the food as much as i do i'm like wait a minute how was i not just walking around eating in world showcase morocco had opened just a couple of years before and i could have been trying out you know restaurant marrakesh just seemed too exotic for my parents at the time so it wasn't until i went by myself that i had a chance to try it so should should have ran a stroller those old blue strollers with the fold down top (laughs) put the top down use it as a tray and just go i want one of those one of those, just yeah, just put it on top of the stroller. I'll, I'll get it later. One of these, <laughs> exactly. And you know, again, I keep going back to this idea of it being a vacation kingdom because I do remember, especially as time went on, spending much more time over at the Walt Disney World Village, which now it's Downtown Disney. It, would, it had sort of went through a, a number of different machinations as far as the name and the theming and some of the shops that were there. 
But I remember going to a character breakfast aboard the Empress Lily. I mean, that was one of the things I remember as a kid. Uh, obviously, now it's Fulton's Crab House, but that was the very first place you can go for a character breakfast. And again, it was one of those great things that brought you outside the parks. Right. And you had, you know, which is more prominent today than, than ever. There were, there were some Legos that you could look at, you know, little Lego villages that were that were scattered around the different shops. And it really was beginning to shift into this entertainment section, which we would see a much larger growth a few years later with Pleasure Island, obviously. Yeah. And the term village here, and I think I've wrote, written about this in the past, was really appropriate because it was very much of like a village. Now, remember, too, we had talked about there were plans to have a residential community on property. They had these villas that you can go for extended stays and bring your extended family. So stores that were in the village were not just places to get souvenir merchandise. There was no Once Upon a Toy. It was Toys Fantastique back then. But they had things like a pottery store and they had a, a Sir, remember Sir Edward's Haberdasher. But they also had things like a country chalet and they had the village liquor store, which I thought was just very interesting. When I look back at the maps, obviously I don't remember going to it because I was underage at the time. But imagine now a liquor store in downtown Disney. Yeah, yeah, something you would you probably would never see these days. Um, yeah, they prefer you to buy your liquor by the glass now. <laughs> but you did. You had all these, you know, individual little country type settings. You know, you had your your food. You had your your your, your souvenirs. But it it was it was more of a place to go to pick up what you needed to to subsist on for for an extended stay. Exactly. I mean, that, that's exactly what it was like, and and that's why it was no longer the place that you came for for a long weekend. You can and you should at that point, 1986, have come and stayed for a week because you couldn't have really seen everything and, and enjoyed everything that Walt Disney World had to offer. Uh, absolutely. And, and and this was this was a way to keep people on property. That You didn't have to drive off to a grocery store. It was right there. You had complimentary transportation, especially if you were staying in the resort or had a passport. So, it, it, yeah, they wanted to keep you on property. They wanted you to see everything that was at the parks, the resorts, the recreation areas like, like River Country, like Discovery Island, it, it took it took a solid week to really see everything. Right. And and again, just kind of going back to 1973 when we were first talking about it, even the Magic Kingdom had evolved so much more. Star Jets opened, the Carousel of Progress opened, the People Mover opened, uh, Mission, well, it was really Mission to Mars at that point. But you also had this little thing called Space Mountain that opens, um, you know, really bringing so much more to that side of the Magic Kingdom. And on the other side, you know, we did. We had Big Thunder Mountain. We had Tom Sawyer Island now. We had Pirates of the Caribbean. It was all coming together on both sides of the park. And you had a much more immersive experience. It was a much much longer experience than you had previously. All right. So now I have to ask you because I don't remember. So how old was Ryan Wilson in 1986? 1986, Ryan Wilson was five years old. Oh, God. I have my head in my hand. I'm like, I was all right. So I was graduating high school in 1986. Uh, I'll, I'll, you can do the math and see. So I can't ask you the question. Well, at five years old, what was your your favorite park between the Magic Kingdom and Epcot? Because at five years old, I mean, unless you really were a geek at five, you were still probably just so enamored with the characters and the fantasy of the Magic Kingdom. You, you know, at 
even at that point, I can remember we had been so much that it really had begun to take on a life of its own. And at five, I can remember really solid memories of things that interested me besides just rushing at characters. And a lot of it at that point, and this is the five-year-old boy's perspective, was the transportation. It was these boats, these trains. It really, over the years, that hadn't changed much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when we were, when I was kind of doing the research and thinking about this, uh, you know, realizing what a significant time it was, what a good time it was to be visiting Walt Disney World. You know, because there was so much more, and now it was, hey, maybe we should be coming back here every year. This is the place to come year after year, not just a place to come once every whatever it might be. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and for me, it was, I mean, this is a place we should go every weekend and not once a month because we were so close. But it it definitely had begun to take on a life and there was always something new to do. Yeah, and unfortunately, when we look back on years gone by like 1986 we look at things that were there that aren't there anymore and i remember um and i sorry that i keep bringing it always back to food but like the adventureland veranda restaurant and again that space is still there in the magic kingdom but that when we talk about food offerings i mean that just had so many unique items it had the monte cristo sandwich it had chilled strawberry soup and when it was sponsored by kiko man some of like the teriyaki burger and the different ways they served the hamburgers and hot dogs there would love to see venues like that, especially when they sit empty, come back. Yeah, it's funny because I was as I was doing research for this earlier this week, uh, I had I was craving the Adventureland veranda because I was I could see it again on on the page, and you, you did you had things like the Good Turn Restaurant over in Epcot closed this year. It would later reopen as the Land Grill Room, similar menu, but it, you know what were those changes there? I I can't remember them really off the top of my head, but. You were seeing changes already in the in the dining and in the attractions and in the shops. You know, we th- that year was the year that Merlin's Magic Shop closed, and I've always been a huge fan of magic. And it, we still had magic for a few more years after that before we lost it completely in the Magic Kingdom. But it, it was a, a time of change. And look, it was a time of change. It was the '80s. It was a time of excess and growth. And Disney World certainly, as we just went through. You know, the litany of things that changed and were added and these big things that were coming. And they weren't done because, obviously, they announced, and I think you said before, they announced plans for the construction of Pleasure Island. The next year, they break ground for Typhoon Lagoon. The golf resort adds new guest rooms. So it's continuing to grow at a really, really rapid pace. And that's what these late 80s, really these mid to late 80s, was going on over in Walt Disney World. Right. I mean, you see the construction beginning on Disney MGM Studios. Norway is just a few years away. The Wonders of Life Pavilion is coming to Epcot Center. There was so much growth at this point that I don't think we have seen since in Walt Disney World. And I was just going to say, maybe we haven't seen since until now because, and and I make specific reference to the expansion plans for Fantasyland. I mean, doubling the size of a land in in the Magic Kingdom, we haven't seen that kind of growth since this time in Walt Disney World's history. You're exactly right, and and who knows if this is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, we have to remember we're coming out of a very you know deep recession, and we're still seeing this kind of growth now happening with Walt Disney World. Who's to say around the corner isn't the expansion of you know these rumors we hear about Pixar Place over in the studios, or 
all these additions to World Showcase that have been rumored for years. At you know these fabled beastly kingdoms of beastly animal kingdom, kingdom. right? Right. Every every park has its has its stories that you know maybe this is the time where we start seeing that again. Yeah, and and certainly it's taking place not just at Walt Disney World. It's taking place around the world. I mean, huge expansion taking place over in Disneyland. Why every Walt Disney World fan needs to go visit Disneyland, and Ryan certainly research trip to Tokyo is in our future. But, Sounds like uh, a plan. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean that's why I kind of like going back and and picking these little segments in time and trying to look back on where it was and, and where it was going and compare it to its very very early days. And and I was really excited looking back on 1986 and have having such fond memories other than how I was dressed at the time. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if we can overlook that and just remember what we were seeing, not how people were seeing us, it was a great time. I was not the only guy shopping at Chess King. I'm telling you, I, I wasn't. <laughs> I think I was still in the Centurion with the collapsible cups at that point. You that was were still, still wearing Garanimals at five, so I was totally <laughs> taking you out of context here. But Ryan Wilson from MainStreetGazette.com, that's MainStGazette.com. I love doing all these Wayback segments with you. We'll have to maybe pick another attraction. We've got to continue on with our Epcot retrospective and some of the other attractions there. Lots more planned in the future. Always appreciate you coming on, buddy. It's always a good time. Thanks for having me. It's time for another Walt Disney World trivia contest. In the past, we've done some trivia, some name that Disney World tunes. Where in the world have you heard this or what's my line? This week, we're going to go back to a standard five trivia questions. And since we were talking about 1986 in this week's Walt Disney World Wayback Machine segment, might as well make all the questions be about 1986 and some of the things I talked about during the segment. So here you go. I'm going to ask you five trivia questions about Walt Disney World. I'm going to ask you to email your answers to lou at wdwradio.com by Saturday, February 6th at 11.59 p.m. Please put contest in the subject line. Make it a little bit easier for me to spot. What I'll do is randomly select one winner from all the correct entries who will have a chance to win not only all three audio guides to Walt Disney World on CD and your choice of a WDW Radio embroidered baseball hat or something from the mystery prize closet. So here you go. Here are your five trivia questions. Number one, I mentioned the resorts when we were talking through this segment in 1986 and the Polynesian, how it had built two new longhouses the year before, one of which was called Pago Pago. And I said that one day that name was going to change. What is the new name for the Pago Pago Longhouse at the Polynesian? Question two. I also said that Crockett's Tavern opened at Fort Wilderness in 1986. What was that dining establishment's former name? So what was Crockett's Tavern known before it was Crockett's Tavern? Number three. We talked about the nighttime show and the daytime show over at World Showcase Lagoon, but tell me the name of the nighttime fireworks show in the Magic Kingdom. Question four. American Journeys opened that year in Tomorrowland in the Magic Kingdom. Tell me, what was that attraction known as previously? 
what was it known as before American Journeys? And question five. Yes, there's, there's a theme here. I also mentioned Gurgis, Munchies, and Crunchies over in the Magic Kingdom. Well, what did that location replace when it opened in 1986? So what did Gurgis, Munchies, and Crunchies replace when it opened in 1986? Here's a hint. Check your audio guide to Fantasyland if you happen to have that on CD or the download. Once you have all your answers, like I said, email me at lou at wdwradio.com. You have until Saturday, February 6th to win all the audio guides and an embroidered baseball hat or the mystery prize. Now, I also said at the beginning of the show that there was going to be a new way to interact and be a part of the show, which is something I've tried to promote since day one. And many of you have taken me up on that and have come on the show as guests or have suggested segments or even called in voicemails. Well, now I want to give you another way and also give you another way to win some prizes because we're going to make this not only an interactive segment, but a way to start a new contest as well. I've done in the past segments called Factor Fiction, where I bring on a guest and ask that guest 10 true or false questions about Walt Disney World. They would have to identify whether what I was saying was fact or fiction. But now I want to involve you in the process and give you a chance to play Factor Fiction But not just play for fun, but play for prizes as well. We'll have different prize levels, different prizes to give away. So what I'm going to do, because you have been asking, many of you, for different ways to be part of the show, is do this. Because I want to combine my love of having you guys be part of it with my love of doing the contests and bring them together. So here you go. This is the way listener Factor Fiction is going to go. I'm going to ask you to email me at lou at wdwradio.com your name and your phone number because what I'm going to do is randomly select a name and call you at a randomly selected time for your chance to play listener fact or fiction now if you're not home or if you don't answer I'm going to put your name back in the pool go on to somebody else so you're not going to lose your chance and you might just lose your chance this time Not sure if I'm going to do this every week or every other week. This is very much going to be an experiment with listener fact or fiction. So all you need to do, like I said, is email me at lou at wdwradio.com. In the subject line, please put listener fact or fiction. Again, make it easier for me to go through the emails as they come in and send me your name and your phone number. And again, it's going to be completely random So don't be surprised if you see a strange number come up on caller ID and I ask you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World for a chance to win some prizes as well. So I hope you guys like the idea. I hope you have fun with it. If you're interested, again, send me your emails. You never know when I might pick up the phone and give you a chance to play. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you again for tuning in. Also, thanks to Ryan Wilson from the Main Street Gazette 
You can visit his site at mainstgazette.com. Don't forget that if you have any questions that you want answered on the show, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. Or if you want to be heard on the air, call the toll-free voicemail line at 888-703-2171. Also, to discuss anything you heard on the show, as well as any news or rumors that you want to share, visit the forums at wdwradio.com or the fan page on Facebook. Both are fun, are free, great ways to share your opinions and interact with other listeners as well. Both sites have discussions going about on about all things Disney as well as specific threads about each episode. Check the show notes at www.radio.com for more information. While you're there, be sure and sign up for our free new newsletter. going to be launching in the next week or so with information, articles, links, exclusive offers, and lots more. Be sure and come by. Follow me on Twitter. I'm twitter.com slash lumangelo. And join the WDW Radio Show fan page over on Facebook. Thanks, as always, to my partners and sponsors, including Mouse Fan Travel. They are my official and recommended travel provider for all your vacation planning needs. All-Star Vacation Homes has more than 150 homes within five miles of Walt Disney World. You can rent a vacation home with private pools, spas, kitchens, game rooms, and so much more. Visit their website at allstarvacationhomes.com. And if you're thinking about buying or selling the Disney Vacation Club, Think about doing it through resale and visit Chantel Crawford and her team over at dvcbyresale.com. Still looking for contributors for Celebrations Magazine? So if you have an article idea, a letter to the editor, photos that you want to share, you can go to celebrationspress.com, email us there. You can also find back issues and subscribe to Celebrations Magazine as well. Don't forget about the WDW Radio Cruise aboard the all-new Disney Dream just over a year away on February 27th, 2011. So very excited about what's coming. Been having a lot of discussions about planning for the cruise. So much more. Four-night cruise to the Bahamas, including Nassau and Castaway Key. Of course, always more surprises in store that I'm already working on. For more information, to get a free quote, photos, videos, and more, visit www.radiocruise.com. Again, just a reminder, cabin categories are selling out. So if you're thinking about booking, I suggest you do now. Remember your deposit is fully refundable up to about 120 days out. And if you are coming, come by, chat, and plan with other cruisers in the forums. I'll put links in the show notes at www.radio.com. Of course, if you like the show, all I ask is that you please help spread the word. Let others know about it. If you have the time, please go review the show in iTunes. Come say hi on Facebook and join the fan page there and the forums at WDW Radio. And as always, my biggest thanks go out to you for taking the time and tuning in and listening each and every week. I so very much appreciate it. So until next time, you know to keep moving forward and to take that first step towards following your dreams. Have a great week, everybody. See ya. Hey, Lou. It's Andre calling from the Great Jersey Shore. It's uh, January 27, 2010. Um, just calling to let you know um, I've had midterms all this week and to pass the time while I'm waiting, I listened to a podcast. Um, it was no some note it was show number 153 Tim Foster and you were talking about 
we're talking about top 10 things to do in cold and wolf is really enjoyed it and I haven't listened to the show for a while I have to admit so I mean it was good to hear it again and it passed on very quickly because I had a lot of, enjoyed it a lot so just want to thank you for passing the time in my chemistry class well I, everyone else is taking exams I listen to my iPod so thanks for that and uh, keep up the great work on the shows hope to see you soon thanks and have a magical day Hey, Lou, it's Gavin from the very cold and very rainy Sacramento, California. I was listening to your last podcast about uh, the patents for the water rides. I'm not 100% on this, but I think there's a good chance that that may be for out here. That might be for Disneyland because I know that they're starting construction on a dark ride for the Little Mermaid. And from looking at the... The sketchings that they have, they actually have a whole exhibit in Disneyland where you can look at stuff they're building for the park and working on. And they had sketches of what the ride would look like, and it sounds kind of like what the patent is describing. I don't know if that's right, but it makes sense with me. By the way, I also picked up um, all three of your audio guides uh, on your website, not on iTunes, because they were not running the special that you are. But, uh... Fantastic, man. I love listening to those. And they are going to be very helpful in boring my fiancé when we are there on our honeymoon in July. Because she could care less about all those facts. She just wants to have fun. But I'm going to tell her anyway. All right, Lou. Thanks a lot. Take care. It's Tina from Ottawa. I'm super excited because... Today, my husband got D23 tickets to the Walt Disney Studios and Archives on February 13th, sorry, Saturday, February 13th this year. Um, It's really freaky how it all happened. I still can't believe we got them. They did charge this year, but last year at this time, we had arranged a 10th anniversary celebration, which we had in, uh, our anniversary was in November last year, and we thought we'll do a Valentine's cruise out of, and go to Disneyland for a few days because they didn't have Disney cruises out of uh, Anaheim area. And uh, then when D23 and all that came about in the tours, we thought, wouldn't it be neat if something was going on when we were down there? And we and one of my to do on my to do list for my life when I wrote when I was like 16 years old is I wanted to go to see Walt Disney Studios. And I can't believe it. I'm, I have chills and shivers. I can't believe I'm actually going to be going and that it fell on the p- most perfect day. We were only going to be there for three days, and uh, we're cruising on the Sunday and uh, on the 14th, and it's just unbelievable. And the fact that it's on that time and that we've had this trip arranged for over a year and that it's fallen. We, I have never been to California before in my life. And uh, I am just so thrilled, and I can't believe how this has all fallen in place. It's a a multiple of dreams come true, and um, I just can't believe it. So, with that said, we just my husband even said he's been he's a longtime listener, long before even I think your podcast before Walt Disney or WDW Radio, and um, I he's he got me listening probably about it two years ago, I think, now, and uh, I do have to say, you have, you're just amazing. You are amazing at getting across the love, and the spirit of Disney comes through, it just shines through, but in closing, 
after that said, I want to say happy 10th anniversary. I know you celebrated it as well, but I'm wishing a happy 10th anniversary to you and your wife as well last year. But um, I'm wishing it to my most favorite Disney geek, which is my husband. Sorry, Lou, um, I have to admit that title does go to my second. You do come close second, but he is my favorite, and I love him to pieces for all that he does and and sharing uh, sharing all my dreams with me and as well. So I look forward to calling you. Maybe we'll call you when we're there. Maybe, who knows, you got tickets too. They sold out really quickly again. I still can't believe we got them online, and... Here we are in Canada going to California. It's just amazing. I'm so thrilled. I'm so excited. And, uh, yeah, can you tell? (laughs) And I should say hi to Josh. He's one of my favorite parts of your podcast, too. And thanks to Tim Foster in the top ten and um, Becky Menken and all of your dream team and everybody else. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy your podcast, and they do put a smile on my face more often more than once during a podcast for sure (laughs) thanks a lot and have a great day bye see ya hey lou it's todd from new jersey um just finished listening to the podcast about the top things to do in walt disney world when it's cold and uh i want to kind of piggyback on something that tim foster spoke about which was seeing illuminations as part of just heading to the parks and sucking it up so to speak um the one added bonus, if you get a good spot on the lagoon, is during the chaos section of Reflections of Earth and the Inferno Barge is letting loose, you get some great waves of heat that will warm your face and everything else. <laughs> um, so you get, a couple, you get a couple minutes of some nice, nice waves of warmth, and it's a nice added bonus when you're waiting out there in the bitter cold. Um, it reminds me of this, just a quick story, a memory I have of when... Uh, my wife and I were chaperoning a marching band trip there, New Year's Eve 2000, New Year's Day 2001. We spent the entire day in Epcot on New Year's Eve that year, and it was that cold day to the point when they showed illuminations at midnight that night for New Year's Eve. I was bundled up in two sweatshirts, gloves, I had a hat and a wool top coat. My wife was shivering. And it was something we've never expected to experience in Disney World, and don't think we ever will again. And um, just memories, though, of that entire day, people huddled in the back hallways of of um, Interventions West, just you know, sitting along the windows because it was so cold and it was so packed. It was uh, quite an experience that I guess you don't get very often. But, again, illumination of that, the Inferno Barge, they'll keep you warm, even from that distance. Uh, thanks for making the show great, as always. Look forward to it on a weekly basis. Keep making them. We'll keep listening to them. Thanks, Lou. Hi, Lou. This is Jenny from Idaho Falls, Idaho. I am in Walt Disney World at the moment, staying at the Animal Kingdom Lodge. I'm here with my husband and my two kids, Indiana and Olivia, And we are enjoying the vice presidential suite at the Animal Kingdom Lodge. To make a long story short, we got here looking for our room, which was supposed to be a standard room. And we found out that the pool was closed. And they had failed to notify us and let us know that they had extended that refurbishment. 
And the supervisor that took care of us, that was Emily, was awesome. She was a graduate of a college close to where we live. And she put us up for one night in the vice presidential suite. And they are moving us tomorrow over to Kadani Village so that we have access to a pool and we won't have to take a bus 10 minutes to get there each day. We were so grateful for her and her act as a cast member. And my son, uh, Indy, said, Mom, magic really does happen at Disney, doesn't it? And we are so happy that this happened. We are so excited. And we just had to call you from the vice presidential suite in Animal Kingdom Lodge. And we will see you on Deck 7 in February 2011 for the cruise. We'll see you then. Thanks. And thanks for the show. You did a great job.